some of those hymns really get to me. You know, I didn't come up here meaning to be crying, but whew, that old rugged cross. You know, we sing about an old rugged cross, blood-stained, rugged old cross, that, and we cherish that. You know, the world looks at that and like, yeah, what? That is so stupid. That is so crazy. Oh, but to me, it's beautiful, you know, because I know what that means. And those of us who know and trust in the blood of Jesus Christ on that cross, we know what that means. And it is beautiful. I got tears on my shirt. Oh, well. I'm not here to impress. Well, this is a very special day in the life of our church, a day we've been praying for for nearly 11 years. I know Pastor Rob and I have been praying that way for nearly 11 years. Living Hope is 11 years old, praise the Lord. About this time, 11 years ago, the Lord led us to start this great work, and he has carried us through and done a great work here at this, uh, this little but mighty church, Living Hope Community Church. And we're excited today to present Brother Jared Henson as a fellow pastor, and we're excited today to celebrate the ordination of Brothers Chris Fields and Jim Shear as deacons here at Living Hope. And we learned extensively about the offices of deacon and elder in the church as we taught through 1 Timothy and through Titus, and today we experience the application, really, of that learning uh, here at Living Hope. And today's, today's time of worship is going to be a little bit different than usual. We'll have a time of learning from God's Word, a time of testimony, where brothers uh, Jared, Jim, and Chris are going to share their testimonies with us, and then we'll have a special time of prayer uh, for these brothers as they embark on these ministries the Lord has led them to. And this is uh, typically called an ordination service uh, in the life of a church, and to ordain someone is really to order or decree something officially. <clears throat> and that's what we're doing. It's going to be official. <laughs> we're decreeing it today officially. And so let's start by learning from God's Word uh, briefly about deacons. You know, what is a deacon anyway? Well, the term deacon comes from the Greek word diakonos, which means a servant or actually a slave. So we get to decree them as slaves today. Like, wow, that's weird too. These church people are weird. And, and we see them first appointed in the book of Acts. So if you'll turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Acts, you know, we don't like to do things here at Living Hope just on tradition. Uh, we like to base things on what they did in the Bible. Uh, we think that's the right way to do it. And so turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Acts, uh, chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. And we'll read about these uh, deacons <coughs> that were needed, the first deacons that were chosen in the book of Acts. Now, in these days, Acts chapter 6, verse 1, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, 
and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And so, the main point here that we see is that the ch as the church grew, it was evident that godly men of good reputation, we can see some of the qualifications listed here, of good reputation, full of faith and of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, were needed to help serve those in need in the congregation so that the elders could be devoted to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So the ordination of deacons in the church is very important and it's very special. And they fill a great need in the congregation and the body of the church. And this pattern of need still exists in the church today. You know, the daily operations of the church require service and attention to keep things running well. That sometimes involves serving people in need, as was the example of the widows here in Acts chapter 6. And it sometimes involves keeping track of the finances of the church or maintaining our facility or planning fellowship activities and all types of things uh, to be organized and carried out. Now, those are things that Pastor Rob and I have done gladly over the years. But when we do them, it takes away from the time we have to devote ourselves to prayer, preaching, and teaching. We all have the same finite amount of time. We can't make any more of that. <laughs> so, you know, so those things have, you know, it, it takes away time from prayer and preaching when we devote ourselves to these other things. And so we are very glad when brothers Chris and Jim told us that they would like to serve in various ways to help us with these things. We are exceedingly glad and rejoicing <laughs> in our hearts. And we thought they would make excellent deacons based on the teaching and qualifications that we see here in Acts and in 1 Timothy. So please turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy. We're going to see some of the qualifications of deacons and, and elders. So 1 Timothy chapter 3. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. This will look very familiar as we recently preached through 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus <coughs> earlier uh, in last year. 1 Timothy chapter 3, and so let's see what the qualifications of deacons are. These are very important. We don't just appoint anyone to this position, this role. 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting at verse 8. <clears throat> deacons must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now, we've known brothers Chris and Jim for many, many years. They're part of our fellowship here, and they're our friends. And we've been, we, they've been tested, and they've been found blameless. 
Some of you might be like elbowing back there or whatever. Like, but it's true. They have been tested and they have been found blameless. We've seen them live these qualities and qualifications over many years. They're not new converts. They didn't just show up here a couple weeks ago and we said, oh, let's make them deacons. Uh, we don't operate like that here. We've known them for many, many years. We've seen their devotion over the years and their ongoing devotion to love and service here in our church family. Now, Brother Chris has been specifically serving and leading the worship and will help with our financial management also. Brother Jim is serving in the leading of our facility and grounds plan and upkeep and various things to help keep the facility going. <clears throat> and it's our great joy to present them to the congregation as deacons here at Living Hope today. And I ask that you please pray for them and their families that they would continue to serve in love and godliness as they have been doing. So that's deacons, Brother Chris and Brother Jim. And we also have great joy today in presenting Jared Henson as a fellow pastor and elder here at Living Hope. Now the term episkopos is the term used here in 1 Timothy for the office of pastor or elder or bishop or overseer. Those, those terms are all used interchangeably in the English for the Greek term episkopos. You'll see them in various places in the New Testament. All those terms refer back to the same uh, leader role in the congregation. And let's look at the qualifications for pastors that we see here also in 1 Timothy. Back up to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, chapter 3, verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit, and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. And so we see God calls some members of each congregation to feed and lead the church as servants of Christ and his people. And when I say feed, I mean feed on God's word. Preach the word. Preach the word of God. Know the word of God. Teach the word of God to feed the congregation well on the spiritual food of the word of God. In other words, even though there is equality here before God as children and heirs and priests and ministers, we are all equal in God's eyes according to these things. But there are some, not all, who are called by God or led by God to serve as leaders. And we see that in other places in the New Testament. Hebrews 13 talks about this. Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. And so in looking for a good pastor, a strong pastor, an elder, a leader in the church, you should see, you should see a strong faith in them that you would have no trouble imitating. And we see that in Brother Jared. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, 
For they are keeping watch over your souls as men who will have to give an account. So we give an account for our leadership as pastors and elders here. And don't think that we don't think about that. (laughs) You know, we think a lot about that. We will give an account to Jesus Christ for how well we led you. And what was the attitude of our heart in doing it? I think about that every day. I pray for God's mercy in helping that. 1 Thessalonians also talks about this. 1 Thessalonians 5.12 says, We beg you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So as members of the congregation, we submit to the leadership of the elders. We submit to their leadership. We respect their leadership in love because of the work that they do in God's word. Acts chapter 20 talks about this also. The Apostle Paul, in speaking to the elders of Ephesus, says in Acts 20, 28, Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. And so take heed to yourselves. Like, pay attention to what you're doing, pastors. It matters. Don't take it lightly. Take care of the church of God. And so that's what Brother Jared is raising his hand to do. He said, I want to do this. God's leading me to this to take care of the church of God. Now back in 1 Timothy chapter 3, notice in verse 1, it says that these men aspire to the office or role of elder in the church. You know, God puts a desire in a man's heart that he just can't get away from. And I've I've talked to Jared about this. Rob and I talk about this too. You just can't get away from it. And you know when it's there. Some people will ask me, oh, how will I know? I'll go, oh, you'll just know. (laughs) You won't be able to get away from that. You will just feel compelled to pastor and to preach, and and you won't be able to be comfortable if you're not. You you just won't be able to get away from it. They desire it. It's, It's set in our hearts. It's a passion to lead and teach God's word to his people that's always there. Now, there are many who meet the qualifications we see here in chapter, uh, chapter 1, or chapter, verse 1 of Timothy 3. There are many who meet those qualifications. Matter of fact, every one of us should be saying, oh, wow, I need to live like that. <laughs> I need to be blameless above reproach. I need to, you know, live these characteristics. But not everyone aspires. Not everyone raises their hand and says, you know, God's leading me to lead and pastor. So there are many who are qualified, but few that aspire to the office. It's a very noble task. It is a good and honorable work. And so it is at Living Hope that we'll not push any man into being an elder. You're not going to get the phone call that says, hey, you know, God told me that you should be an elder, and so get going. Uh, let's start the eldership process now. Not going to happen. We've been very careful with that. Over the years, we've seen, you know, oh, wouldn't brother so-and-so make a great elder? Yeah, I think so. Let's pray about that and see how God leads them. Never have we pushed someone into this because it's a a terrible thing to do (laughs) to push somebody into that. It could be a disaster. And so we're very careful that. We don't recruit anyone to this office. We don't put out a call for resumes on the Internet and say, oh, yes, we need an elder over here at Living Hope. Please apply. 
I'm sorry, we just don't do that. Now, there are a lot of churches that do that. That is the model, actually, today. It's more like a business than a congregation. And that's just not the way God's led us to do it here. We don't push anyone into that. Rather, we work to equip and help all of our men meet the qualifications and then wait and pray <clears throat> to see who, 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 who God puts in their hearts. Who will God move in this way? And so the congregation under the Lord Jesus Christ and by his word and spirit uses its authority to recognize and affirm leaders whom God calls. Then the congregation puts these people in positions of leadership and voluntarily supports that leadership by learning from their teaching and following them. We voluntarily submit to their leadership. <clears throat> Now, these leaders in the congregations of the early church were elders, and we still use that term here at Living Hope today. We call them pastors, elders. And the point here is that the eldership was not one alternative form of leadership among the many in the early church. No, it was the form of leadership, as far as we know. And there were always more than one elder in each church, as far as we know. Consider these texts that show how widespread the practice of having elders in the church was. In Jerusalem, Acts chapter 15, verse 22 says, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the, church, with the whole church to choose men and send them to Antioch. So we, saw, we see in the church at Jerusalem, there were multiple elders leading that church. In Ephesus, Acts chapter 20, verse 17, and from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. Again, multiple elders in the church there. All the towns of Crete were like this. And Titus chapter 1, verse 5 says this. This is why I, Paul, left you in Crete, that you might amend what was defective and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. All the churches James wrote to, when he said this, to the 12 tribes of the dispersion, in James chapter 5, verse 14, it says, Is any among you sick? Let him call the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, assuming that there are elders in every church. All the churches of Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia that Peter wrote to in 1 Peter chapter 5 says this, So I exhort... The elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. And then finally, all the churches Paul founded on his first missionary journey, and presumably in the others as well, in Acts chapter 14, says this, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. And so we don't have, we don't see this CEO, senior pastor model in the early church. It's a plurality of co-equal elders leading the church. Now, the function of the elders was to lead, feed, protect, and care for the children of God entrusted to them, just like good shepherds. We see that in 1 Peter chapter 5. It says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. 
exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And so we don't do this because we have to. We don't do this to check some spiritual block or, uh, box or it's some duty or obligation that we get paid lots of money for. So we just, oh, I got to go preach the word again so I can get paid, pay the bills, you know. Never. No, you do this willingly, with a joyful heart, eagerly, it says. And so you can know your pastors here at Living Hope, we don't do this for money. <laughs> we're, not, we're not paid for this. It's a very small retirement contribution. We don't have a salary here. We're bivocational. We're like the Apostle Paul in this regard. We, we're like tent makers. Pastor Rob pokes holes in bags. <laughs> I do stuff with computers. And, you know, Jared teaches Hebrew and Greek and plans events and conferences. You know, we, we have jobs just like everyone in here. We know what it's like out there in the world. We live it every day. And so we don't do this for gain or because, uh, you know, we feel like we have to or someone's making us or we won't be able to pay the bills. No, that's not, that's not why we do it. We do it eagerly and joyfully and lovingly because we just can't help ourselves. <laughs> we just got to. And so we lead by word and example. We feed, we teach the word of God, we preach the word of God and sound doctrine. We want to protect and care for. We're always on the lookout for the wolves who look like sheep but aim to destroy. We pray constantly, God, help us keep the wolves out of this place. Constantly on the, on the, guard, on the lookout for that. And defend the sheep from attackers. And so also know that pastors are held accountable by God for their sheep, as we saw in Hebrews 13, 17. We will give an account for the leadership that we provide. And so you better believe that God cares about who leads his people and how they do it. We don't take this lightly. He cares greatly about that. And we're dealing with eternal souls of God's people here, and we care very deeply about it. And so it's with great joy that we present Brother Jared as a fellow pastor and elder to you today. We've known Jared and his family for many, many years. We've learned under his teaching and his preaching. It's been a real blessing to me. And he aspires to this great work of being a pastor. And he meets all the qualifications we've just read about. Now we'd like to take some time to hear from each of these brothers. And so I'd asked each one to share their testimony with us so we can hear from their hearts and be encouraged uh, by their testimony. And so uh, one by one, Brother Jared, Brother Jim, and Brother Chris are going to come uh, and share their testimony. We can do it in that order. And so, Brother Jared, would you come and just share uh, your testimony with us just for a few minutes and share your heart with us? It's been a while since I've uh, shared my testimony, but uh, it, as I think back on it, it, it uh, it's actually good to, to think back through what what happened? Um, it's been a long time ago. Um, I'm 41, and I um, I was raised in a I was raised in a Christian home, and 
my mother, especially my mother, was very faithful. She always, she always had me at church and in RAs and uh, everything, and was pouring the Word of God into me. Uh, but I, I did not live it, of course, and and I went my own way, and and for, uh, for a long time, uh, up until I was 18, actually, I, I went my own way. I was very headstrong, and and was into. Um, to drugs and, and alcohol, and it was actually destroying my life. And I, um, so if we back up just a little bit, when I was, um, as I was, as I was being brought up, um, my mom would always, even if I didn't want to, she would force me to get up. She'd say, "Get up, we're going to church." You know, it's, it was. Um, Nothing, nothing I could do about it. I went, and you know, looking back on it, I'm, I'm so thankful. And when, after, after the Lord began a, a work in my life, all of those, those years, and the scripture that I had memorized, came to life. They, they resurrected in my own life, and, and just, uh, just worked me over. It was an amazing thing. Uh, we had. Uh, one, actually, it was my senior year of high school, and I was uh, actually strung out on drugs and, and was uh, staying up night after night and, and doing lots of drugs over the, over the weekend and also through the week. And I was going to school during all this. I, I remember very little about it. Um, and, but a friend of mine and I, who was also doing them with me, and he was actually the one I was getting them from. We began, we were staying up one night, and we were talking, and we, we said, uh, we started talking about, you know, the end times, and what was going to happen uh, in the world, and uh, the return of Christ, and things like that. We believed it. We, we knew it. Uh, we, we understood that, that things were happening, but this did not make a, it did not intersect with our lives at all. But what happened that night, and I can remember it, it's one thing I do remember, I can remember the, the very night when I said, I'm going to go get my Bible and start reading it. <laughs> and so, it, so I went home, and I, I told my mom, and told my mom what was going on, and, and I started reading the Word of God. And I remember specifically the, the Sermon on the Mount that, really just kind of took hold of my life and I thought, you know, this, I really began to fear. Yeah. If, if something were to happen to me, and, and I, I truly felt that at the moment anything could happen, that my life could have been taken, uh, was not doing well, and, and I thought, you know, my life could actually be, be taken away from me and, and what, what would I have to show for? What would my life have, uh, before God, what would it, it have mattered, right? Would it, would it count before God? And, uh, of course, the answer was no. But uh, as I began to read the, the Bible, it absolutely took control. It just invaded my life. God invaded my life and began to work in me like I, I had never... I, I not even, I can't even describe it to you. 
one of the one of the first things that um, that he did to me was was to uh, to ultimately clean up my mouth, and I lost about three quarters of my speech <laughs> when it did. I had to, I really had to learn to speak again <laughs> because I lost about three quarters of my vocabulary. And it was miraculous. I could not, I, I can't tell you uh, what a change was wrought. And uh, during this whole time, I'm, my mother, who was, who was always looking out for her children, she, she had started a business for me. She had, uh, I was screen printing t-shirts and I was, I would, uh, I think it was in my sophomore year of high school that I started doing this. And, and after school, I'd go in and I'd print T-shirts till eight or nine at night. And, and of course, my friends and I would do what we would do. And, and uh, she, had, she had started this business for me. And that's what I would do at night. And, and so uh, one night I was, I was there and, and all of this was going on in my life. And, and uh, my mom called and she said, so I'd, I'd like for you to go to a revival service with me tonight. And, and so anyway, I went, and I remember uh, Reverend uh, Jack Pickle was his name, and he was preaching the service. I remember very little about what the, what the sermon was. Uh, I remember the subsequent nights much better. But, um, but what I could not resist was, was the calling to surrender my life. And so... Uh, the end of the service, I did. I whipped for weeks upon weeks upon weeks about what what I had done and and how how I'd wasted my life ultimately. And and but during that whole process, uh, there was such a change that that at night during so I would I continued to to work uh, at the business and and my friends would come in and and. It's all I could talk about was Jesus, you know, and what, what had happened in my life, and gradually they stopped coming around, you know, and, and so I had, you know, just a handful of people that would come around and, and see me. But, but through all of that, I, I realized that I, I and through uh, counsel of, of my pastor, uh, Danny Paris, I realized that I had a calling on my life that, that was centered around the Word of God. And that, that ultimately is, is, is really what defines my life. It, it's one that will live out its days in relation to the Word of God and trying to, uh, to delve into the mystery of, of what happens when that Word of God takes control of someone's life. And, and proclaiming that and seeing that in uh, seeing that happen in others lives it's it's an amazing thing that happens uh, so my uh, my pastor after all this happened he was he was there with me and and uh, counseling me as uh, as I began to grow and and to of course misinterpret things that the Bible was saying and uh, one thing that I realized very soon after um, was that if I wanted to pursue this calling and I had no choice it was it was not a choice of do you pursue this calling it was what do I do and how do how do I do it I had to get an education uh, at this point I was not planning to go to college I was not planning to do anything except go to work and 
uh, have fun the rest of my life and die. I mean, really, it was it. And I realized at that moment that, that I had to go to school. And I began to go to school and uh, went to a little junior college and, and uh, continued to grow and uh, transferred to, to another one. During this whole time, I discovered, um, I discovered that, that what I needed to do was to, to study language, the languages of the, of the Bible, uh, Hebrew and Greek, in order to better understand it. So that's what I've been doing. That's what I, uh, my degrees are in, and uh, that's what I've been teaching for the last uh, eight years, I guess, eight or nine, almost nine years. But all this time, I, th I think it's been, it, when, I first, when I first surrendered to the calling, it was like, oh, you surrender to be a pastor. That's what you surrender to. It's what everybody did, right? It's, that's the ministry. You preach. And while that was the case, and I was open to that, at that moment it was not what I, what I was called to do. And, and it was, uh, maybe I just had to uh, be disciplined a lot and, and have that worked out in my life. But, but over the last few years, that's, that has been increasingly on my mind uh, that, that I need to be not just teaching I am teaching. I teach. I have like a, a church of my own. It's not really a church, but I have students that have been with me for years. We study the Word of God. We we work through the Scriptures. But uh, to be a member of a local church and to to work with the local church and and uh, and to attempt as best I can to uh, to feed uh, the flock with the Word of God as I have learned it and. Uh, uh, has has been on my mind for for many years, and and um, I just ask for your prayers as as I uh, submit to this, and and ask that um, that you pray, uh, especially for me and, and for us for all of us, but um, that we would that we would have the the rule of the Messiah, which is a servant rule that that it is a it is a it is a kingship that washes feet right and that feeds with the word of god i mean this is this is ultimately what we aspire to do and um, i pray that you would uh, that you would help us as as we seek to do that by your prayers um, so there are lots and lots of details but uh, but it's um as I look back on it, it it's an amazing thing, and um, I just rejoice that, that I have this opportunity. That's my slime ball. That stuff's falling. Uh, I, uh, I'm a sinner uh, saved by faith alone in Christ alone. And, uh, I was saved on a Tuesday night in a, uh, I was eight years old. Tuesday night at revival service at First Baptist Church in Greenville, Tennessee. And uh, I, uh, I've always envied stories like Jerry. I'm a simple guy. 
and I'm abundantly blessed. I've had a blessed life. I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, I never doubted for a day or an hour or a minute that my dad loved my mom. And that was such a blessing. And so, uh, you dads out there, I uh, hope you'll take that to heart. And um, I, uh, 38 years ago, I married the most godly woman that I know. And um, I'm married to my best friend. And I love her, and somehow she loves me. Uh, it's a great thing. Um, I've been blessed with five kids and nine grandkids, and uh, they're a joy. And uh, it's just been, uh, uh, it's been a blessing uh, to grow up. Our, our family has some really, um, from time to time, some deep theological discussions. And uh, it'll tell you that my eyes tend to glaze over. Uh, again, I'm a simple guy. And when I, when, I, uh, when I take part in those conversations, it's usually come back to some very simple truth that uh, has just been impressed upon me as I'm listening to, to what they have to talk about. But, you know, God's just blessed us in so many ways. Um, and then we had young kids. Um, Becky gave me a verse from Proverbs. I'm going to mess these scriptures up, but you're going to get the point. Uh, the scripture from Proverbs was, you know, the, the shepherd knows his flock, and he takes care to take care of the welfare of his sheep. And uh, she was making a very important point to me. I had five kids at home. I was trying to grow a business, but I had five kids that, and a wife that needed me. I, I understand that. It was a blessing to, to see that. Um, I had a chance one time to lead a, a mission trip to go do some work in uh, an island where they had had a hurricane. And, you know, again, I had young kids at home, and I had a business, and, and God led me to First Timothy. And there was a verse that says, you know, uh, the soldier called to duty doesn't get involved in civilian life because he can't serve the one who called him. So I went, and I'll see guys that went on that mission trip today, and they'll have tears in their eyes because what we went through together on that trip, it was a great blessing to, you know, to be a part of that. Um, we had a son that, that had a kidney disease. Thank, thankfully, it's been in remission now for 25 years or so, but, you know, we walked through that together, and, uh, you know, it was trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but, you know, look at what he can do for you. And that's what we did, and we walked through that together. And uh, I remember the example of Becky's mom. She went through a very debilitating disease, and, and um, even when she couldn't really speak, she'd take that crooked finger, and she'd put it in Bible verse. And that verse said that the Lord's not going to give me anything that I can't get through. And she would say that everybody that came through, she would point to that verse. And uh, again, it was a blessing to go, you know, to go through all that. And so I, uh, I don't have the, the dramatic turnaround story of conversion. Oh, I grew up in a Christian home. That's just the way I grew up. That's all I've ever known. But I've been a blessed, a blessed man. And, um, you know, I just, I, you know, one more verse is, you know, he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. So I'm excited. <laughs> My, my brother Rob told me to take notes and you know 
that way you'd have something. And I did. They're right where I left them. So I'm winging it. But it's, it's funny how, you know, as we hear people's testimony, how it's strangely similar. And, you know, me and my, my brother Jared growing up and brother Jim growing up in a Christian home and, you know, the different languages. I speak English and churchies because I, too, grew up in church. And I was blessed to have parents who um, had me in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, visitation and all other times. And so I'm very fluent in churchies. So to try to avoid speaking churchies, I'd like to give you my testimony. My testimony, I want to explain, it's my testimony, my witness, my witness about what he has done, not what I've done. So as I said, I grew up in a church, I was uh, real good friends with the pastor's sons, and they were good PKs, Um, but I was able to grow up in that environment and uh, my my good friends the, the preacher sons during uh, Sunday school they give an invitation and they're like come on it's time to go you gotta go you gotta go up there you gotta get saved so I did I was eight years old nine years old and I went up I walked the aisle and I kind of knew what I was doing kind <laughs> but as that moment happened in my life, I kind of knew what was going on. I knew who God was. I knew who Jesus was. I knew what he did for me. I knew the story. As I grew, I, I banked on that. And I grew up. I left home to go to college. And I looked around me, and I can handle this. I can do it my way. And so I did. And I walked away from a lot of the things that I believed in was taught. And, you know, in the eyes of the world, it wasn't something that I wasn't this terrible, horrible person that, you know, you listen to on these television and radio shows. But, you know, we're reading that psalm about what sin is. How, view, how does God view sin? And, you know, backing up just a second, a cautionary tale to you young people. That's everybody below 90. A cautionary tale. I was banking on that experience. My knowledge. That didn't carry me. That didn't carry me through the times where I had to make decisions, life choices. And as I got to that point in my life, I don't know what happened when I was eight, nine years old. I don't know if that was God changing my heart and giving me a heart of flesh. This, I know. That night in my apartment, when I'm looking around, and seeing the choices that I'm making, what I know to be true, and where I was headed, 
I knew that was sin. I knew I was a sinner. I needed a Savior. That night, I know what happened. There's no doubt. That is my witness, my testimony to what he did. Um, hey, Mr. Jim, I'm a simple kind of guy. I don't, I don't do real good with planning. But one thing I know, he has redeemed me. Now I get to serve him. That is my witness of him. Uh, thank you so much, brothers. You know, I, I truly believe that anyone who has trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ for their salvation has a dramatic turnaround story <laughs> because we're all great, great sinners just as Chris said, and we need a great Savior, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, brothers. Thank you for sharing your hearts with us today. You know, it was the practice of the New Testament church to gather together, uh, to lay hands on and pray for those who were appointed to the offices of pastor and deacon, and so we will do that today, uh, and also to follow their example. Um, so what we're going to do is um, our brother's going to come back up, and we're going to sit them right here, front and center, in front of everybody, and uh, we'll set up some chairs here. And then, you know, we're just going to invite anybody who would like to come and pray, you know, just lay hands on them and pray for them, uh, just to come and, and do that at this time. And so um, if they'll just come up and uh, have a seat here in the front. This isn't uh, real formal or organized or ritualistic or anything like that. They're just going to sit here and... Uh, you come as the Lord leads you. All are welcome. Come on up. And, uh, you know, you basically just, you know, lay your hand on their shoulder and just say a prayer for them. We can kind of just line up. Why don't we do this? Why don't we line up and go kind of clot like this way? <laughs> that way we'll have a good flow of, of folks. So, you know, uh, you know, Pastor Rob and I are both going to do that. You know, anyone is welcome. So go ahead. Come on up. Um, you can come up. And, you know, we're just going to have a time now of prayer. And it'll end when it ends. Um, so, you know, anyone is welcome who would like to come up and uh, pray for these brothers with us. So come on up. <laughs> 